There is a question I've asked here before and I will ask it again. Who benefits when African countries are always fighting? A country like DRC has had civil unrest for the last 10 years, but DRC is one of the richest countries in Africa in terms of natural resources. So who benefits when such countries are fighting? Who's selling weapons and who's benefiting when Africa is not stable? PLO has the answer and he's pulling no stops. Always asked, until very recently, how many African countries manufactured bullets? Very few. Until very recently, how many African countries, in fact, how many African countries manufacture jet fighters? How many African, African countries are involved in the arms industry? Some of the leading conceptual West countries which pontificate to us about prizes, peace prizes, are the leading manufacturers of landmines. And if you look at their foreign exchange honors, it is the military and security items. So they say with their mouths, what do they not believe in their hearts? In Kiswahili we say, vita vya panzi furaha ya kunguru that when the locusts are fighting, it is the joy of the hawk, because when they kill each other, they get the food easily, dead. It is in the best interest, I dare submit, without fear of contradiction, that the elite in the conceptual West does not want Africa to stabilize, despite their assertion to the contrary. And you'll see it in every country, because conflict is a major industry. Today, you look at South Sudan and the many peace conferences that are being held, but if you ask who supplies the arms, who provides safe heavens, it is the conceptual West. Hello there, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of Our Chats. My name is Indira Ganga. I'm a business journalist by profession, and I enjoy coming out here talking to you guys about matters Africa, black people, black empowerment, and how we can rise and take up our rightful space at the global stage. Dr. Patrick Lumumba is no foreigner in terms of public speaking and calling out people when they need to be called out. And most recently he was in Rwanda and he was giving a speech and bits and pieces of that speech stood out to me. And those are the parts that I want to share with you today. We've always talked about how Africa is being exploited, but he had the perfect representation of how the exploitation is taking place and how Africa is perceived by the rest of the world. To them, Africa is just a piece of the cake and everybody is cutting the size that they want whenever they want and eating to their fill. But if you can see, first of all, I want to agree with the Honorable Minister. I've, I've done two pictorials. One of them is described as Africa at the dinner table. And if you look at Africa at the dinner table, Africa is on a plate, and it is meat. And the diners at the dinner table are France, the United Kingdom, the United States, the European Union, the Chinese, and progressively the Arabs. And my second picture is the African hotspots. It's not visible from there. But if you look at Africa today and you make a clean sweep with your mind, there are different conflicts of different intensity in Somalia, 
in northern Mauritania, in northern Mali, in Central African Republic, Democratic Republic of Congo, Guinea-Bissau, in the Cameroons, in South Sudan, and one can go on and on. These practices just show that neocolonialism is very rife, you know. Um, some African countries 20, 30, 40 years ago fought and got their independence. But little did we know that the independence was not actually real independence, it was literal independence. But in very many aspects and forms, we're still very much bonded to the people that colonized us, you know. When you look at Francophone countries, they're bonded to France in terms of economics, politics, democracy. And so, Real freedom is a facade for African countries. That we must never forget that the colonial power has not left us. We must recognize that he did not go willingly. And if we don't check them, they'll come back again. And what would little Central African Republic do against them? Today, he is right. Today, if we remember the activities of France and how they propped up the regime of Jean Bédel Bocasse, he was right. Today, as the Honorable Minister has, has indicated, Africa remains the only continent in the world that is referred to in these terms, Anglophone, to mean that we are a sphere of our erstwhile colonizers. About two weeks ago, there was a meeting of the Commonwealth in London, England. And a friend of mine, who is an Anglophile, sent me the photograph very gleefully, saying this is a meeting of 53 equal states. I told him, no. If it was so, why is it that the leadership of the Commonwealth is hereditary rather than rotational? In other words, in the minds of the British, her former colonies are still under her tutelage. In fighting for our freedom, Africans wanted to be autonomous. They wanted to be free of European influence and meddling. But somehow, the West think that it is their God-given duty to always meddle, to tell us what is right. And if you listen to President Kagame, he's called out this before several times, saying the Western way is not the Bible. It's not cursed in stone. That's just because this is how you do it, it does not necessarily mean that that's exactly how we should do it. But the West have this problem where they think that they're the big brother and they know what's supposed to be done, tried and tested. And so this is how we do it. This is exactly how you should do it. Unfortunately, they're blind to something called differential diagnosis. What works in the West might not work in Africa. Different people, different continent, different set of challenges. And I want to submit to us that in the minds of what I'll call the conceptual West, they think they have a divine duty to instruct Africans what to do. True. And in the minds of many African leaders, they think that they have a divine duty to accept what they are told. That, in my view, is what the Honorable Minister was talking about, the mindset. And this is something that has been examined we have seen France and its very pernicious presence in Africa. We know what they did in Burkina Faso against Thomas Sankara. 
We know what they did in Mali or the Sudan against Modibo Keita or against Seko Ture in Guinea. Pernicious to the core. The Portuguese. We know what battles had to be fought in that area. And let me put this very bluntly. When the former leader of, of uh, uh, Portugal, Marcelo Caetano, was asked, why can you not allow the colonies to gain independence? This is what he said in substance. As I have examined world history over the years, the following have emerged. That the Caucasians have been responsible for, for monumental discoveries in the development of man. So have the Chinese, so have the Arabs. But the Africans have been responsible for nothing. They are only fit as hewers of wood and drawers of water. And I want to submit to you who are present here that in the conceptual Wests and guarded moments, or guarded moments, that is what they think. And that is how they relate to Africa. So the whole idea that they will interfere is something that they think is their God-given duty. It is for this reason that, you know, some African leaders have been calling for a united front. Most recently, the president of Kenya, William Ruto, said, moving forward, if you want to negotiate business with Kenya and with some African countries, we're going to start to speak in one accord. Talk to us through the African Union so that you do not continue to exploit it. This is no new concept on the continent. These are things that were said by Kwame Nkrumah and were also said by Gaddafi, that as one block, we can speak in one accord and we have a little bit more power when we go to the bargaining table. And Kwame provided the solution. He did not complain about colonialism. He said, we must live here with one army, with one command. We must live here with one currency. We must live here with one, currency, one country. I do not know where its capital will be, but I suggest Leopoldville or Bangui. Other leaders may have their thoughts. Kwame was right, but who listened to him? Several years down the line, and I've said it in my paper, there were coup d'etats which were engineered, there were mutinies which were engineered, and other forms of destabilization. And I want to believe that the person who actually said it very well in the 1980s was the former American president, Ronald Reagan. He said, the United States of America does what is in her best interest. And I agree with him. Does Africa do what is in her best interest? Do African leaders do what is in the best interest of Africa? Interference will be there in very blatant and brazen ways and in subtle ways. A united Africa scares most of these Western countries and Western blocs because the taps through which they've been siphoning resources out of Africa will close. For example, 
who are the people funding and facilitating war in Africa? Just for a moment, forget all the th good things that they get to get when countries are not stable. For example, our natural resources, their destabilization leads to an over-dependence on them and their aid. And that means that they get to dictate who, who, who we are, who we put in office and what time we do, what we do on the continent. But also, who is selling the weapons and who's making the most money off of selling the weapons? Always asked, until very recently, how many African countries manufactured bullets? Very few. Until very recently, how many African countries, in fact, how many African countries manufacture jet fighters? How many African, African countries are involved in the arms industry? Some of the leading conceptual West countries which pontificate to us about prizes, peace prizes, are the leading manufacturers of landmines. And if you look at their foreign exchange honors, it is the military and security items. So they say with their mouths, what do they not believe in their hearts? In Kiswahili we say, Vita vya panzi furaha ya kunguru. That when the locusts are fighting, it is the joy of the hawk. Because when they kill each other, they get the food easily, dead. It is in the best interest, I dare submit, without fear of contradiction, that the elite in the conceptual West, does not want Africa to stabilize, despite their assertion to the, to the contrary. And you'll see it in every country because conflict is a major industry. Today, you look at South Sudan and the many peace conferences that are being held. But if you ask who supplies the arms, who provides safe heavens, it is the conceptual West. And when I use the term conceptual West, I'm saying, that it extends to countries which are geographically not in the West, like Australia or Canada. So I'm submitting in answer to your question, Joe, that interference is there and it is part to use this old cliche of the neo-colonial project. The neo-colonial project requires that Africa must remain within the sphere of influence of these states. The reason why these people are so adamant in having influence and control in Africa is they know they have very little influence back at home because back at home they're dealing with their peers, Germany, France, Britain, Russia, China, USA. They're all peers. You want to come at me? I'll come at you. I'll match the force that you're coming at me with. But when it comes to Africa, there's still so many loopholes to come in and manipulate the people and manipulate the system to your own benefit. And that's why they're hell-bent on being here and destabilizing us. Today, if you look at the United Kingdom, which has left Europe, one would have thought that those are their cousins and that they should sit in comfort with them. You will now see their involvement being de-emphasized in Europe and their interest and appetite growing towards the Commonwealth. Because in the Commonwealth, they are the major domos. They'll tell us what to do. In Europe, they have to grapple with the Germans and the French, and they don't like it. That is the unspoken bit of it. The French also are in Europe, but the Germans are too strong, and they don't like it. So they want to hold Cote d'Ivoire, Gabon, and tell them what to do. I do not know how many of you saw 
the press conference that was attended by President Macron of France and uh, Nana Ado uh, of, of, of Ghana. And when Nana Ado spoke as an African should, you could see the body language of the French president. How dare this man speak this way? In other words, I'm saying that interference is the mother's milk of European economy. And you know the sad thing is, the sad thing is that Africans are enablers. They come here, they find one or two corrupt people, they bribe them, they, 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 they just find a way to sneak into the system and ensure that the countries do not stabilize. They remain destabilized so that they can continue to do what they do and benefit. But it cannot continue that way. It's not business as usual anymore. To answer your second question, they have their own recruits who Professor Philip Nyimura will be speaking here. To use the old vocabulary of those days, they have the people you call their comprad de bourgeoisie. You must remember. <laughs> the the comprad de bourgeoisie are Africans with black faces, but essentially they are doing the bidding of these powers. They are the ones you'll find them in different spheres. And they will be present, they are in your cabinet, but they are actually representatives of the foreign intelligence agencies of those countries. We know this, if you look at the disclassified papers from the United States, we now know that some of leading cabinet ministers in many African countries were working for the CIA or some Western agencies. So you are sitting in cabinet, and in these days of, of the mobile phone, they are possibly uh, texting their, their masters in Europe and America. So interference is also exacerbated by these comparative bourgeois for their own benefits. And, and it has never changed, Honorable Minister. In the early days of slavery, they gave some of the chiefs mirrors and, and, and alcohol. Today, what they give them are flats in, in Paris or in Dubai. And that is what makes them undermine Africa. The third mode of interference is through institutions. Look at the, the, the competition as it is now. There is a new entrant into the market that is called China. China is very subtle. Many people wrote the obituary of Rwanda in 1994. 20 years down the line, it has been demonstrated that Africans can actually do it. Between 1983 and 1987, I think Thomas Sankara in Burkina Faso also demonstrated that it can be done. We saw in Somalia, despite their problem, so my prescription is African unity. Africa must now begin to negotiate initially in terms of blocks, SADC, ECOWAS, East African community, and ultimately as African Union. And lo and behold, we must do it. And I've always said this cliche, we must do it because if we don't do it, we will be done. Anyway, guys, that's all we had for you on this session of the chat. Let me know what you think. Do you agree with Peel or do you disagree with him? Do you agree that the warmongers are the same people that are practicing democracy? They want you to fight so they can sell weapons, but in the broad daylight, they are telling you democracy, I like peaceful people in office, but at night they're selling weapons. That That is what is happening on this continent. And the more we talk about it, the more we become aware of the issues, the more we take back our power. I'll see you again next time.